We're going to continue today our message on um, the prophets, and we're looking today at the prophet Joel in the Bible's Old Testament. This is one of these prophets that's real hard to find if you have a paper Bible like me, okay? How many of you have paper Bibles in here today? You actually brought a paper Bible to church. Can you wave your paper Bible around? All right, so you, you can have it on a paper Bible, you can have an electronic Bible on your phone. I don't tell people to turn their cell phones off in church, I do the reverse, and I tell people to turn them on, just put them on vibrate so they don't ring all over the place, but use your phone, I encourage you to use your phone, I encourage you to get into the scripture on your phone, I encourage you to check what the preacher's saying on your phone. I know that you Google everything, you know, the pastor says something and you Google it and <laughs> no problem. I encourage it, all right? So we're, we're talking about the theme of, of the prophets, especially the prophets in the Old Testament, because their messages are, are very relevant even for today, especially in our new world and how fast that world is changing and uh, how, in some ways, disturbing that world has become. And yet you see these messages that are 2,000 and 3,000 years old, and they still ring true today. So we've looked at a couple of prophets already. Do you remember which ones, those of you who were here? Yeah, Habakkuk, as we pronounce it, yeah. And who else? Jonah, all right, good. So those are really easy prophets to read. You can read them in 15 minutes. Um, and, and the one that we're going to do today is Joel, and you can read him in 15 minutes as well. But with him, you need a cup of tea because he's really, he's really deep, okay, really deep and really different than Habakkuk and uh, Jonah. So just, just a 30-second review. Remember what a prophet is, right? These are the people who foretold. So this is what the Lord says they proclaimed on behalf of God. This is how God feels. And they also at times foretold and said, this is what God is going to do. And again, often that message would not be liked. It would be frowned upon because often they were calling the people back to the standard of holiness that God had already told them. And they had walked away from that standard. And these prophets would come in and say, I'm reminding you this is what God said, and this is what God is going to do if you don't come back to the way that he wants you to live. Much of their ministry was like this. You have them in the pre-kings period, so pre-monarchy, we call that, during the period of the kings as well. And you also have these written prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel, and today we'll look at Joel. Now, you've got big current events, remember, that are happening back in that time. Just like today, you have all kinds of current events and all kinds of big kind of geopolitical things that are happening. Well, the prophets had the same thing 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. It wasn't any different. So some major events just in 30 seconds. Uh, and you can review this in the previous messages that are all online. You've got the, the civil war uh, in Israel that started really uh, in 922 around B.C. You can take that passage down and Read about it in the, in the book of First Kings. You have the conquering of, the, of Israel, which was to the north by the, the Assyrians. Uh, we looked a little bit, uh, uh, learned a little bit about them when we talked about Jonah. And you can see the passages there. And you've got another big, big, big event when the Babylonians take the south. 
and destroy the temple in 2 Kings chapter 25. And then the Babylonians themselves are going to get taken out by the Medo-Persians in Daniel chapter 5. And then the Jewish people are coming back to Jerusalem in 2 Chronicles 36. And they will rebuild their temple and they will uh, re reclaim their, their land in Ezra chapter 6. You see the rebuilding there. So we're moving uh, into, into Joel here. And the problem with Joel is he's very mysterious. Uh, it's very hard to know who is he and when is he writing. And what is he specifically, what time is it when he's writing? It's one of the most mysterious questions with the prophets in the Old Testament is Joel. His name means uh, the Lord is God, Joel. And uh, that's what his name means. We know uh, who, his, uh, uh, who his father is. His father's name is Pethuel. That we see in verse 1 of Joel chapter 1. But we don't know anything else. We don't know what kings were around when he's writing this three-chapter book. We don't know what time it is. We're not entirely sure. We, we read the whole book, and it could be several different times. And there's many different views about when this guy was writing and why he was writing and what the context is. It's a bit mysterious. So when you approach this book, you've got to understand that you are not going to be able to pinpoint it. You can't draw a little chart and timeline you know, of, of the, the events of history or the future based on the book of Joel. It's too general. You cannot uh, make a specific, you can't get a lock on it. You, 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 it's intentionally written that way. And when you run across a prophet that's written this way, you need to, to be careful because that means that the prophet is trying to speak in terms that apply to more than an immediate context. So for sure, for sure, for sure, the message of Joel is going to apply not only to these people back here, whoever he was addressing, but also to people at large. So when we read this book, we should read it with open eyes and try and see what principles is this prophet uh, trying to convey because they're going to apply to us. The principle will apply. Okay, so, and he writes with all kinds of images. One of the images is right on your screen there. Any of you know what that is? That's a locust, and that's a nice, healthy one. Okay, and uh, you see, it's kind of, kind of ugly, you know, kind of gross. A locust. Any of you actually ever seen real live locusts before? Have you seen a locust swarm before? A real live one. Have you been in a locust swarm? All right. Well, I'll show you that in a minute. So he's going to use images of locusts and armies and destruction. And uh, very dramatic, very graphic pictures are in this book. Okay, so you have to approach it understanding that he's trying to convey a message using these pictures and these images. He's trying to get people's attention and show them something through the use of all of these things. All right, so be careful when you approach the book 
and, and don't try to lock it in. Scholars have tried to do that for centuries, and they can't. Some say it's before the Assyrian invasion in 722. There's theories about that. Some say it's before the Babylonian invasion, invasion in 5, uh, whatever it was, 586. There are different views, but you cannot lock it in because the principles are trying to speak to us all. In chapter 1, he's going to talk about these locusts and this swarm of locusts that happens in where he is, which seems to be Judah, uh, and he's going to, and, and Israel at large, and he's writing about this swarm as a past tense uh, event. So, uh, verse 2, hear this, you elders, listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Big, big, big thing. Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. A, a, there has been a, a terrible disaster that has happened in what he's writing here, and the locusts have come and they have ravaged the land and eaten everything, and it's all gone, and it's barren, and there's nothing left. And you see this, these descriptions in Joel chapter 1 of this terrible um, uh, uh, disaster. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Remember when Jesus turned water into wine. Here the new wine is dried up. All gone. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate and the palm and the apple tree, the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. Wow. It is a sad situation that he is describing here. Very bad. Everything's gone. A swarm has ravaged it. You see on your screen, that's a locust swarm in, I think, Kenya in uh, February, March 2020 of all the years. And they have enormous problems in, in some African countries with locust swarms. And there's a whole history as to why and, and the uh, climate change also affects it. And when those things come and those things swarm, they eat everything in their path. Um, you see locusts in the Bible in a couple of, of places, several places. One famous place where you see locusts. Wow, good, good class, okay? So it's one of the plagues, right? One of the plagues in the, in the, when the Jewish people got out of, of Egypt, good. Another famous locust reference, New Testament. Yes, you, you, half of you know it in this room. And the people online, you, you can play along too. Just 
jot your response there. And if we get a comment, we'll try and publish it on the stream as well. John the Baptist, good. Why John the Baptist? He ate them. <laughs> he, he ate them, and he ate them with honey. And you know people do eat locusts today. They do. And probably got a lot of protein in there. Just, just saying. Maybe it helps with COVID. I don't know. But, but it, a home, another home remedy, right? So uh, in, in any case, uh, we do see locusts in the scripture. Well, here, these locusts have done damage, and they have eaten, and they have destroyed, and the joy in the land is gone. What a statement. The joy of mankind is withered away. Now, the thing about these locusts, when you read about them in Joel, is they are not just viewed as a kind of a freak of nature. It's not just a happenstance that these locusts have come. It's not just, well, there was climate change. Uh, it's not some Hollywood movie. You know, there's a Hollywood movie here, dinosaur movie. You know, I like dinosaurs. And the, di the latest dinosaur movie has got these locusts about this big in it. <laughs> They're dinosaur locusts. And they've been engineered, you know, to, to eat. The, 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 the guy is trying to control the world with these, these engineered dinosaur locusts, you know. It's not that in the scripture. Uh, when you read about these locusts, there's a call, an immediate call by Joel to get the people to pray and to repent as a result of these locusts. In his view, these locusts are there for a reason. It's the, these locusts are a consequence to the moral choices of the people. He's associating repentance with this disaster. And by this, he's trying to say, these locusts are here because of consequence. This is judgment that has come. Now, he's saying it here. I, I want you to be careful because I'm not trying to imply, you know, that a locust swarm in, in, uh, in uh, Kenya, for example, is God's judgment on the people. Okay, that's, that's not the point of what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say is there are consequences to moral actions. And the consequences to moral actions are like these locusts that are going to eat your life away. They're going to destroy everything and they're going to take your joy away. That's what happens when you make moral choices that violate God's standard. You are going to have consequences to this. And this is probably the biggest lesson of the book of Joel, is that you cannot escape the consequences of your actions. You cannot. I am stunned how we are able to live in a world that obviously operates by cause and effect. Everything operates by cause and effect. You see it on display right in front of you, demonstrated in front of you in this very moment. The reason why you're able to hear me speak is because of cause and effect. 
it's because there's, there's sound waves that are traveling to your ears through these speakers because of a transmitter and a receiver pack that's sending those sound waves to a system that's sending it to your ears. You're sitting on a chair that's keeping you from the ground. You, every single thing operates by cause and effect. This is the way the cosmos is designed. Why is it that we think that morality is not the same? Why is it that we think that in the spiritual uh, uh, world, if you will, it's not the same? It is the same. Your moral choices have consequences, and sin has consequences. What we, what we do is we deceive ourselves and try to think that we can escape the consequences of our moral choices. And we say, well, no one's looking. No one's going to see. It's not going to hurt anybody. No one's going to know. I can run that red light. No one's around. No one's going to see whatever the red light, the red light might be. I can steal that money. I can look at that pornography. I can have that affair. I can cut that corner of integrity. I can cheat on my exam. I can, whatever it is, I can cut through somewhere. I can, I can drink that excess alcohol. I can do that drug. I can do, no one's going to know. No one's going to get hurt. It's just for, no one knows. I've got my bases covered, and we kind of we kind of think to ourselves what could happen, but we can escape it, folks. That is self-deception. No wonder John said, "If we claim we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives." We deceive ourselves when we think that there's not going to be consequences. The problem is that we don't understand that the consequences are much more severe at times than the moral choice itself. It's like locusts. We weren't expecting a locust. We were expecting a gnat. But locusts came. Why? Because when you open that door... Because when you make that decision, when, when the scripture says the wages of sin is death, it's not kidding. There's consequences to actions, and they never, never fail. You say, well, hold on a second. There's people who, who live lives that are, are evil and immoral, and there's never consequences that come their way. They seem to be constantly doing well in life, and everything is good for them, and it seems like God doesn't see, and it seems like everything is just great for them. So I don't know if that's true, that they're actually dealing with the consequences. Folks, um, it, you, we, have to, we have to see things the way that God sees them. The way that God sees them, your time here on this planet is a blip on a radar. It's a mist that comes and goes, and it's gone. Where did it go? Who is that person? We don't remember. That's how quickly your life dissipates on this earth. Hate to be, 
I hate to be you know, depressing in mid-July, but that's reality, folks. It's a blip on a radar. God looks at your life on the scope of eternity, not just the little blip on a radar here on planet Earth. And you've got one shot here on planet Earth to live and to make choices and to have a belief system. You've got one shot. After that, you can't, it's, it's over. After that, you're on the other side. The uh, book of Hebrews, it is for man to die once, not a hundred times, once, and after that to face judgment. So it's based on the decisions that you make, the things that you believe, the moral choices, the person that you are here is going to determine what happens over there. But once you step across that line, once you pass through the curtain of death to the other side, it's too late. So you can't say, well, the person had a terrific life here and they were morally evil. Folks, God sees on the other side. And God brings justice. He always brings justice and he always brings consequence. Be careful, this is not the same as karma. You want to have a discussion about religion um, with people and talk about Christianity? Let me give you a really good tip. Just start talking with karma. Man, the amount of times that I have heard that word karma, and, and people use it all the time. Uh, amusing, one amusing time, COVID story, when uh, amusing because the person recovered, but the former president, Donald Trump, when he got COVID, you know what the number one hashtag was? Karma. Karma. And so, but this is not karma that we're talking about here in Joel and these locusts. This is consequence and it's different. What people don't understand about karma, we have redefined this term. Okay, karma in Eastern religion is, is, is uh, stuck to, is fused to reincarnation. So in Eastern religions, and different ones have different ways that they do this, but the soul transmigrates from body to body. So your karma, your action, accumulates, and then when you die, your soul transmigrates to another body. Based on your karma, that may be a so-called higher body or a so-called lower body. And the body that you're in right now, you're in because of karma from previous soul transmigrations. A lot of people who say karma don't believe in soul transmigration, okay? So be careful. when we use this word karma, we have North Americanized an Eastern religious word and made it what we want it to say. Uh, what goes around comes around. That's a little more reasonable, okay? In the scripture, you, you, you bear fruit, you plant uh, you plant fruit and you reap what you sow. This is, a, this is the idea of consequence. And this is what we see in Joel. And what he's trying to say here is what's going on here is associated with your moral choices. And these locusts have come. They've eaten your life away. They've taken your joy away. The joy of mankind is withered. And then you see this call to uh, repentance that, uh, that happens with these uh, uh, in, in the book of Joel. And you see this kind of uh, juxtaposed 
with an army that Joel sees invading the land, as if the locusts are representative of a vicious army that is going to invade the land. And the disturbing thing is that the head of the army in this case is God. Again, because the way Joel sees this, this is God meeting out consequence and justice. Now, I just need to be careful here because of what's going on on planet Earth and because some of you may, you, you may wonder because of similarities, at least on the surface, in no way is this the same thing as the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I am not trying to say that God is the head of an army that has invaded that nation. In fact, the opposite is true. There you have a moral evil and a moral uh, leader, a leader who has made morally evil decisions and who will be held accountable for that, and God will do that. That is not the same as what's going on here in the book of Joel, okay? Just, just so you know. What he's saying here, again, is that these locusts are a picture of consequences, and in his mind, he sees a potential invasion. This could be the Assyrians coming in. This could be the Babylonians coming in. We're not sure, but it's an army that's going to devour, and he sees this, and he's calling the people to repentance, a very deep kind of repentance. So he's saying to them, uh, the Lord thunders, verse 11, at the head of his army. He, his forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. Clearly, he is behind this particular thing. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? And watch the call to repentance. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. They would, they would tear their garments in a gesture, a symbol of repentance. He says, tear your heart. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. Remember, even Jonah knew that. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings, for the Lord your God. And he calls the people to a fast. Blow the trumpet. Declare a holy assembly. Declare a fast. So he's calling the people to repentance. Repentance is a theme that goes through the whole scripture. I love the passage in 2 Corinthians 6. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. It's not just being sorry for your sin. It's a sorrow that leads to a transformation of the mind where you say, I don't want this moral choice anymore. It now makes me uh, sick. I don't want it anymore. I turn from this moral choice. I repent and I turn to God. And sorrow for sin is one thing, but transformation is quite another. And you know you've repented when there is this turn in your heart 
toward that particular moral vice, whatever it may be. So there's still a call to repentance, and it still resonates today, 2,500, 2,800, whatever, whenever this book was written, it still is, is relevant today. And there's an open door that we have. God always, always responds to the repentant. Always. Doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what line you've crossed. He will always respond to the repentant heart. The question is, will we take advantage of that, right? But this, this door is always open for God. He loves it when people repent, when people decide to turn from that sin and turn toward him. And so you see this, this dramatic call to repentance in the, in the text. When you, when you read through it, you'll see it in several places. And then you see that God is going to now restore and he's going to restore big time, probably way, way, way more than the people even expected. He is going to restore uh, classic passages here. Uh, uh, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. Wow. So they came, they ate they took everything. The place is barren. There's no livestock. There's no, there's no grain. There's nothing. It's bare. And God says, I'm going to repay you for all those years that the locusts have eaten. All those consequences, that you have, the pain that you have endured, the joy that has been lost, I'm going to bring restoration. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts swarm. My great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am, uh, that I am in Israel and that I am the Lord your God and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. You see this promise of restoration that these people had. Wow, the repentance triggers this incredible move of God across the land. And the people are redeemed. And the people are restored. And their joy comes back. And you see this bountiful harvest is now there. And this is, this is what God does. I mean, when we talk about... Even communion and thinking about the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the offer of salvation that he puts out to us every single day. What's he saying? He's saying those locusts that have eaten your life, those consequences, God can save you. God can redeem you. God can restore your life and put you on a right path. And that should get us very, very excited and hopeful. Very hopeful. And then he moves into an even greater scope. And he starts talking about this day of the Lord. And it's, a, it's, a, it's not an, it doesn't seem to be an isolated thing in one place. It seems to be like a universal, global judgment of God on injustice and on evil and on sin. 
And this is called in Joel the day of the Lord. You see it referred to by other prophets as well. It's not referring to a specific day, like a 24-hour day, but seems to be more of a time of judgment where God will finally put the nail in the casket of sin once and for all. It's the day of the Lord. And you've got an image in Joel there. The, the moon will be turned to blood and the sun will, will turn black. He almost seems to write about it like it's going to happen at the same time, which is actually physically impossible. But that's the picture that he uses in the book of Joel. You know, solar and a lunar eclipse at the same time. Uh, not possible. Right? Because the image, though, is an image of global judgment on evil. This is what he's doing, and he's drawing on these terms. People would have seen these things in the sky, and he's saying, I'm telling you, something is going to come, and God is going to deal with evil. It's the day of the Lord. Verse 28, after this redemption and restoration from what the locusts have eaten, and afterward, the prophet says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Ah, male and female. Oh, that's a big deal. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions even on my servants, both men and women. Something big is going to happen here. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. It's a really big, big vision that he has here. Seems to be that the Spirit of God is poured out on all people, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of social class, and that there's going to be some type of big judgment that is going to come that seems to be global. It's powerful, powerful imagery. And then you see hundreds of years later in the book of Acts, you see this passage. And probably as I was reading it, you were like, hey, wait a second, I've heard that before. <laughs> Especially in Pentecostal uh, uh, churches, because in Acts chapter 2, when the church is birthed on the day of Pentecost, and we talked about this uh, uh, just a month ago, you have this thing that takes place, God's audio-visual display, where these people are speaking in these languages that they don't know, and the visitors from out of town understand it, and everybody's going, what in the world is going on? And Peter gets up and he says, I'll tell you what's going on. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And he quotes the passage. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what's he saying? He's saying that time that Joel talked about has just started. The, the, it's the last days. Here is the spirit of God. Now we're 2,000 years later. 
Well, I would venture to say this is the laster days. <laughs> if the last days, if he says it's the last days back then, uh, then we're in the laster days, folks. And we're further along the line. We're further along the chain. We're closer and closer to what he calls the day of the Lord. I'm sure Joel would love to live in our time. I'm sure he would love it because we're closer. We're closer to the return of Christ. We're closer to the nail in the coffin of sin. We're closer to justice actually being served. What's the words of the song? Dancers who dance upon injustice. Wow, that's a, that's a term that refers to that, that ultimate joy over evil being defeated, you see? And this is what he's predicting, and this is what Peter says. That time has started. We're in it. You say, what do you mean we're in the last days? It's, it's like a, a big period of time, apparently, according to Peter. So we're laster than Peter was. I like to think of it that way. So just a few, a few um, messages from Joel that you can, you can grasp and apply to your life in the band. You can come up and start playing in the background, and we'll just finish here. Moral choices always have consequences. Always, 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 don't kid yourself, don't deceive yourselves, and locusts are not karma, okay? Locusts are those consequences that come and devour. God still calls humanity to repentance. He opens the door for us to turn to Him every single day. That door is open, and He calls us to that change of heart. He still restores and he still saves. Are you excited about that? You know, the old, they're excited about it. Yeah, just, just unscrew the little thing there and it'll turn off. Uh, it, they're excited about it. Uh, but I hope you're excited about it. Jesus still saves today. He still does. And he will bring about, he will bring about universal justice. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we're so thankful today for your love for us. And Lord, even though sometimes uh, it, it is hard for us to grasp, uh, we understand that you are a just God. We understand that you are morally perfect. We understand that you are holy. And Lord, we love your holiness. We love your justice. We love your uh, uh, your grace extended to us. Uh, God, you give us a, a, a right way to choose. And I pray, Father, for each person in this room, those who are watching online, those who are going to watch and later listen, uh, and listen later, that we would make that decision, Jesus, to turn to you. Lord, I, I, I pray on behalf of all of us, forgive me, have mercy on me, and receive me as your child. Transform my life from the inside out that I would be a follower of Jesus and walk with you. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you today. I encourage you to pick up your Bible and read the book of Joel at home. You will really, really love what you see and what he saw. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Remember, you can volunteer uh, outside for the back-to-school bash. Remember to pick up your kids on the way out. God bless you, everyone. Did you feel
Jesus Christ the 